Hello and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Friday, June 29th, 2012. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaber. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere. On this week's show, we're going to talk about X headers being deprecated, Margo begetting Fargo, database migrations with Active Record, and all things AWS. So sit tight, the Niche Podcast is next. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Uh, not bad. How are you? Great, considering. <laughs> considering you spent 20 hours on an airplane yesterday? Yeah. I was. It was. I think I told you over Skype, it was one of the, uh, it was like a miracle flight where I had three middle seats to myself, so I totally laid down the whole way. <laughs> yeah. So it's awesome. It's pretty nice on an international flight. Yes, and I even had a, a hat with me so I could put it over my face. It was like... I slept better on the plane than I did in the hotel. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> That's unusual. Yeah. Yeah. But that 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 particular stretch of the flight's like what, eight hours? Uh, about that, yeah. Yeah. So thought I remembered from, from Peter flying to Kenya and what have you that it was about an eight hour flight. Yeah, I think London's a little less, but I slept for like at least four or five hours. It was awesome. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I used to Used to do that on Greyhound trips. I used to take these Greyhound trips to Calgary from from Moorhead, Kentucky, which is like sixty three hours on a bus. Oh, <laughs> just kind of drug yourself to sleep and just you know, wake up when you get there. Oh, that's harsh. Yeah, yeah, but back back then you could you could do it for like fifty nine bucks. Wow. Well, so can't beat know, that. Eighteen years old, no other responsibilities, no no real time restrictions was the cheapest way to get anywhere mm. so. yeah i can't argue with that yeah yeah the train from uh the train from providence to new york, new york city is almost the same price as a plane wow yeah because air travel is so inconvenient that they're like yeah we can get away with this <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that's crazy yeah so oof. so yeah i just uh got back from london bunch of client meetings pretty exciting yeah, I'm interested to hear about that later. Yep. Um, but sounds like you have a whole list of stuff to talk about this week, which is good because uh, I've mostly been traveling and preparing to travel, so I don't have a lot of fun stuff to talk about. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I have I have several things. Um some of it um some of it I know you've been waiting to hear for a while. <laughs> Um, actually, one of the things that I, I just added to the list, I guess maybe last night, is I was reading and I noticed that um, the recommendation has come out that the the X prefix and HTTP headers be deprecated. Oh, really? Yeah. Have you seen that? No, I didn't. Okay. Um, yeah, I know it's going to affect us a little bit in, in terms of the, the API development and stuff, so I just kind of wanted to touch on it. Mm. And I guess the idea is to see originally... The, the X prefix was to denote non-standard headers that, that aren't part of this, the spec. Right, like vendor prefixes and CSS. Right, right. And I guess it's getting so much use now that they just feel like that namespace is getting really crowded. <laughs> yeah. So the, the X namespace. <laughs> right. So Which I can see if you're working on, so you have a, a service that pulls in APIs from a, from a couple of different sources and what have you. I can see how that could get crowded and confusing. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're deprecating it. And I, they being the the powers that be, 
And so I guess the recommendation now is to, to like actually use vendor specific prefixes that are specific to your, your company or your application. Interesting. Which makes more sense. Do they, it, I, I guess it does. I mean, like why should the headers be off limits? Yeah. You know, it's not like, uh, I don't know. It's not, it's not like it's sacred territory. Yeah. What, so and, do they make a recommendation about the syntax to use? I mean, presumably it, this kind of reminds me of, uh, code signing for iOS apps where you, your namespace is kind of like reverse domain name, you know, com dot Jonathan Stark dot app name. Yeah. Kind of, uh, the, the recommendation from, from what I gather, I, I read a fair bit of the RFC, which have, have you ever sat down and read an RFC? I have, yeah. Yeah, it's it's both fascinating and tedious. <laughs> yeah, it's tough to get. Um, they're so logically complete that it can be, it's almost like a signal-to-noise problem. Like there's so much stuff that you don't care about because it's for yeah. browser people who make browsers. And all yeah. you really want to do is, you know, find the pieces that apply to the people who are going to be building stuff that runs inside of browsers. So it's right. You gotta pick, pick through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it was pretty pretty interesting. I read a large chunk of it, and then I got to the point like, eh, I don't care about this stuff anymore. Let's <laughs> let's skip down to the recommendations. Right. They they didn't really make a lot of hard and fast recommendations. I guess one of the things that was suggested was just to to either I guess depending on the the scale or the scope of what you're doing, prefix with either the the company name or the application name mm -hmm. so like we might might have you know for instance niche dash auth token or or happy dash session or or whatever and i'd kind of been doing that anyway i'd just been sticking an x in front of it too right so. it becomes redundant yeah 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 so it looks like it's uh ietf that's uh <clears throat> yeah doing it yeah the internet engineering task force there you go. So that's so, uh, interesting. Yeah, just a little thing. It, I mean, it doesn't affect things in a in a big way, but it's just a a little recommend. Well, I guess it could if you have to go back and maintain a lot of legacy stuff. But but um, for us going forward from here, you know, I can see dropping the X. It it's not really needed. Yeah, I mean, it would never was it, the X was never required, really, right? And like, no, it was just never create required. A custom just, header, it would still work. Yeah, it was just a just a common practice to denote that it, the header you were doing working with wasn't part of the the official spec and to avoid conflicts and what have you there. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, which I can see, I guess I can see if you're pulling in something that you know applications or sorry, if you're pulling in data from a couple of different applications and they both have an authentication header, you know, I could see where there could potentially be a conflict there. And sure. so the the vendor specific. App specific prefixes make sense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, cool. Progress. Yeah. Progress. Progress. Yay, progress. <laughs> <laughs> and this one, this change is easy to make. So. Right. So I can I can support this one. It reminds me a little while back, uh, maybe a month ago or two months ago, Opera announced that it was going to start supporting WebKit vendor prefixes in CSS. Mm-hmm. Which I have nothing really to say about, but uh, I figured I'd mention since it seems, seems like a similar topic. If anybody why, why not just it. support the official spec? Uh, well, they do um, with <laughs> oh. with dash o, but nobody's yeah. putting dash o in their style sheets. Yeah, I mean, I mean, why why have a vendor prefix at all if you're going to support someone else's vendor prefix? Uh, I think they're just 
dealing with reality. Um, you know, because if, if a bunch of people are writing WebKit only style sheets, then, mm. it, then sites look like crap in opera, even though yeah. opera supports everything they're doing. Um, and, and I don't know this for a fact, but I wouldn't be surprised if Opera supported as well the uh, non-vendor prefix version, which people are probably not even putting that in. So Yeah, see, I, I, I never do any kind of CSS3 there without including the, the non-prefixed version. So Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, just that's, assumed that was common practice. Uh, you, would, you would wish that that were the case. <laughs> um, and granted, it's a little bit confusing because it's like, which... I don't know. I guess it's not confusing. If you're using a vendor prefix, you should use the non-prefix version as well. But, you know, um, I've certainly just slapped some stuff, you know, WebKit stuff in there because I'm testing on WebKit and then probably never go back and change it. So yeah. it's just laziness, um, even when, uh, even for me when I know I'm supposed to do it. So yeah, uh, there was, a, of course, hue and cry from the um, open standards people like, uh, oh, God, here we go. You know, Opera is going to get sucked into the WebKit universe and diversity <laughs> diversity is good and blah 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 but uh hopefully yeah, I don't know maybe it's a little bit of a wake up call to start removing the prefixes in general yeah. but, but really it's a it's a uh developer problem it's not the browser vendors that are causing the problem in this yeah. in this particular case so um that was worth mentioning is there uh i'm sure you have a i know you have a ton of stuff to talk about so feel free to plow on and i'll just feel interrupt to, as needed feel free to plow on okay well speaking of progress <laughs> and I, I don't mean this in any sort of derogatory way <laughs> i um i cloned margo in ruby oh right cool yeah i did that a couple of weeks ago yep forgot to mention it last week i so. did see that yeah did you i don't know if you took a look at the code or not but yeah it's out there it's just a and we can we can link to it in the show notes. It's just a little Ruby clone of, of Margot, and yes. it takes about twelve seconds to get set up on Heroku's free tier and you know, inst instant free blogging with Markdown files. Yeah, push by Git. That's awesome. Yeah, and yeah. You, you called it Fargo, right? Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> yeah, I, I I needed something, and I was I was gonna go with Marge at first, and no, Fargo's better. <laughs> It's funny, I didn't even see the connection at first. I was like, Fargo, what does that mean? So, of course, I immediately thought of the movie, so I was like, huh. Yeah. And I was Wait like, oh, duh. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't go with Nargo, like one, yeah, that... one farther down the alphabet. Oh, yeah. Been silly. I could have I called it Largo, I guess, and, and then one better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sort to the top. Well, you'll still sort in front of Margo, so that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's great. Um, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, uh, there's probably not a lot of development to do on Margo anyway. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of to the point where I originally wanted it. So making clones, I suppose, make, makes the most sense next. Yeah, it's it's the same with this. I mean, there's there's really nothing else I want to add to it. It's got RSS. It does all of the post sorting and what have you. So, mm. I mean, I mean, you know, it's a it's a tiny, tiny little. Ruby file and, and a couple of view files. There's there's nothing to it. So right. So that's cool. It's the Heroku part's really cool though. Yeah, yeah. I I got it set up on Heroku in no time. So excellent. Oh, that reminded me of something. What the? I was talking to when we were in the UK. I was talking to our friends at Infinim, uh, mm -hmm. 
we work with this development firm in Croatia, and they do excellent uh, iOS, Android, and uh, and uh, web development, web apps, and excuse me, web apps in particular. They're just really, really good. And we were talking about uh, uh, database migrations. Yeah. You know, actually, I think that's what reminded me of it. So I was thinking of Ruby and uh, and and we were in a debate over whether or not you should use Rails for straight up JSON, like REST JSON APIs. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know, dude. It seems like there's a lot of overhead and, and cruft with uh, a Rails app that you're just totally not going to use, you know? And, uh, he was like, and his sort of argument was from a place of pragmatism, which is usually the side I'm on where he was like, yeah, but when was the last time you developed an API that didn't eventually need an admin interface or, uh, some kind of web programming, you know, like view based HTML programming. And I was like, and I, I totally agreed with his point. And it was hard for me to argue against it, but, mm-hmm. but in the last couple of, months i've really drank the kool-aid on keeping the api completely pure and output agnostic and and uh you know and and just if you need a web app to communicate with it then create a web app yeah and communicate with the api yeah i'm kind of on the same the same side yeah but i agree that it's a little bit ivory tower but then mm-hmm. and then he almost nuked my argument with a really good point which was um database migrations that was why you emailed me about that to win an argument yeah yeah i was like (laughs) please tell me that this is either a piece of rack or active record so that because i i hadn't i wasn't familiar with the way the database migrations work but it looks really cool it is yeah so i was like i was like oh please tell me this isn't rail specific because if it is then he might have convinced me but it sounds like it's it's an active record thing uh, it may be the scripts, them, the migration scripts themselves may be Rails specific, but I don't see why you couldn't pull those out and, and write your own rake tasks to do the same thing. I mean, they're, they're just rake tasks. I don't think they actually do a lot with Rails themselves. I mean, it's all it's all dealt with active record. So I think if you were using active record in your Sinatra application, for instance, mm-hmm. I think you could probably either pull out or fairly easily, quote unquote, write yeah. your own rake tasks to, to simulate that mm-hmm. or to, to duplicate that functionality. And at the same time, data mapper has their, the built-in migrations basically suck, but yeah. they do have a plugin. They do have a plugin to handle migrations and it does it a little bit differently than active record. But again, I feel like you could automate it fairly easily. Yeah. I mean, the, it's, it's something we should really look into because it's, yeah. you know, we're, we are certainly going to have to do that. So yeah, I've I've wished for Rails style database migrations on more than one occasion when developing AP, the API. Mm. But it it so you know, I I know that migration class is there. I just haven't looked into it a lot. Yeah, so that'll be something we can talk about <clears throat> in the future. Yeah, I'll I'll look into it when we when we get a chance maybe on this next next project we're ready to start on. Yeah, exactly. Might be a good thing to look about pulling that in. Yeah. Yep. Excellent. Well, that's cool. Yeah, and uh, so I have, I have one other little personal project that I've been working on, and that kind of segues into the larger topic that I wanted to talk about today, mm. which is is all things um, AWS. Ah, cool. Yes. Amazon but, Web Services. Yes, yes. I'm. I've been been working the last few weeks and getting to actually use 
use more than just EC2, and it's been an interesting experience. Mm. Yeah. Cool. So. For example? So another th- uh, for example, well, actually, just the... Um, yeah, I, I can't really talk about the, the app specifically that I, I did this on, mm-hmm. but I can I can talk about some of the things we went through. Cool. But yeah, one of the, one of the other things I did last week, um, actually I did it did it while you were gone, and <clears throat> so things were a little bit slower for me with you out of town. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yay, John goes on vacation. Yeah. Or I mean, John goes to work and I go on vacation. <laughs> right. But um, uh, do you remember Itemize? Oh right, yeah, yeah. It's little, like a uh... invoicing tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's simple invoicing for small jobs is the the tagline there. Mm. And just a, I, I redesigned it. Like visually or? Yeah, like visually redesigned mm. it. And at the same time I did, I also moved it over to EC2. Uh, where was it before? Uh, it was on um, a Linode. I gotcha. Yeah. And after I got, I got it moved over to EC2 and got it all set up. And one of the things I did during, during that migration process was to get a, get a basic API type or basic uh, Ruby Sinatra database server um, set up and then create a machine image from that. So, so I have a nice, a nice clean AMI for rolling out new things there. Cool. And yeah, I, so I just I, uh, pulled it up. It looks sweet. Thank you. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure if some of the some of the form stuff might be too low contrast. I don't know. I've I've been. I kind of felt like a hypocrite on some of that, but <laughs> <laughs> but I really like the way it looks. So I'm not sure yet. Yeah. Well, if you can see it. Yeah. Yeah. That that was my thinking. Like, well, if it's good enough for me to see. Right. <laughs> Everyone else can probably like watch. Probably fill it out on the other side of the room. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can read it. Yeah, okay, cool. We're good then. <laughs> but, yeah, so I moved it over to EC2, and I was surprised. I got to looking at, you know, when you get a reserved EC2 instance, the the prices just get, like, even cheaper. It's just, it's crazy. Isn't that what we, we're using for the niche stuff? Yeah, we're using EC2 for niche, but I don't know if we have reserved, if you've bought reserved instance, instances for them or if we're just paying. I think we are. Yeah, are we? I remember. Uh, I'm not positive. I remember when I did the, um, I did a snapshot, mm-hmm. uh, and I was never even aware of the difference between. I don't even remember what the difference between a reserved instance and a non-reserved instance is. But I remember that when I went to some kind of backup or a snapshot of one of them, and it and there was a distinction between the two. And I'm pretty sure that I looked into it at the time, and it was reserved. But I, like I said, I don't remember what that means. Um, price. <laughs> <laughs> there must be they, some. There are there are different types. There are they have the regular instances, and then the reserved instance instances, which, as far as I can tell, functionality wise, are the same as as the regular instances. They're just you're reserving the resources ahead of time, so you're 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 paying paying up front, and then you get a little bit of a discount. Hmm. And then they have they have spot instances, which. I've never used, but I guess it's like where you can bid on free processing power that's available at the time huh. to use it. To, so I'm I'm not sure how that works, but it's it's interesting. Like I could see using it to maybe, you know, if you had a lot of things turning in the background that you need to process on or something that you you, know, you you throw some money on a spot instance there, and then then when more resources become available, it can use those 
you know, within the cloud that it can it can scale up automatically and use those to, to do what it needs to do. Interesting. Yeah. So, so I'm tr- as we're talking about it, I'm thinking back that it, it had something to do with volumes that uh, it wouldn't, like if I created a, one or the other doesn't back up volumes. If it's reserved, mm. it does. If it's not reserved, it doesn't or something like that. Okay. Yeah, that, that might be too. So oh, I know, I know the, um, the RDS volumes, which the relational data store volumes, I know they do automatic backups. Mm-hmm. But is that the same thing as uh do you know if that's the same thing as a snapshot? Uh, I'm not sure. I think it might be like a daily snapshot type thing. Mm, I see. But I'm not hundred percent certain on that. So, but yeah, I, I worked with a, a company last couple of weeks and it was interesting because they have an application that they needed to needed to get ready for some high traffic because they were setting up ways to to scale it across EC2. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's not something you and I have either have done a whole lot of. Right. So I mean, we're we're normally we're developing apps and then we're handing them off to the client, or we have small internal projects that haven't gotten to the point where we need to do that sort of horizontal scaling yet. Right. So it was it was interesting because it was. Sort of a trial by fire because I'm I'm not a network administrator yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. I, I I build web software. I don't manage networks. Right. But yeah, I I learned some interesting things from it. And so I just have some, just some some points that steps that we went through that kind of worked well for us and was able to get them over the the hurdle of their their big big event. Cool. So, so yeah, from that, I've sort of put together a little plan and I'll just run down it and which I think it goes well with, with last week's numbered list. (laughs) So number one is, uh, to break up tasks across multiple instances, wherever it makes sense to, Mm -hmm. um, for instance, we had, we had an instance that managed, um, email and cron jobs because we had cron jobs generating a lot of email Mm -hmm. so we pulled those out of the the main web the instance with the web server and we put those up on their own they ran on a little micro instance and and did their the cron jobs and email thing Mm -hmm. and then we had the web server itself was another instance right and then we had um data uh, an instance for the database a relational an rds relational data store instance for it so is that so RDS isn't um, it's like a served thing. It's like something that you use with EC2. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could sign up for it on your own and use it outside of the AWS ecosphere if you wanted to. Right. So if you, so what what are the like if what are the steps if we were gonna I don't know use RDS for uh, like. Uh, logging for Avalio, let's say. Um, yeah, create the, just create the RDS instance. And then when you create the instance, you select your database type. And right now they support MySQL and Oracle. Mm-hmm. I was, I was a little surprised that Postgres wasn't supported. A little surprised, a little disappointed. Yeah. But, <laughs> but nonetheless, and then it sets up the, the RDS instance for you and gives, and 
Uh, I'm not sure what kind of web-based administration there is for the RDS because that wasn't something that I had access to in the, the scope of, of this particular project. Right. And I haven't had a chance yet to look into it on my own. Mm-hmm. But um, I know you can also log into the RDS instance via SSH and access your SQL server configuration files and everything. Okay. So so you do get a good level of control over it. And and then it just it runs your database on that RDS instance and you have your your IP address and what have you that you just you know, you use to connect to the database instead of you know, for instance, connecting to localhost, you you would put in the, the RDS IP instead. Gotcha. Okay, so because in the example that you're giving, there's like a web server and there's also this email cron job queue thing. So they both must mm-hmm. talk talk to the same database. Right. And they do that at an IP address, basically. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Yeah. So then, so then we had the web server, and I believe the original plan, though we run out of time, uh, the the initial plan may also be uh, move some of the static assets off of the web server and put them onto S3. Right. Just just to keep to keep load down on that on that web server because they were serving a lot of a lot of static files. Yeah. And I guess if you wanted to, in instead of just going with S3, if you really wanted to, you could go with Amazon CloudFront, which is their CDN. Gotcha. Which would probably give you even a little better performance. Yeah, because it pushes that stuff out to the edge. Yeah, yeah. It yeah, depends on how often your content changes. I'm not sure it would really, really be relevant if it's if it's static content that you know it's not dynamically generated, but maybe you're still in development and you're updating it on you know like every couple of days. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's like when you're when you're in development with a web app and you're trying to use application cache, it's super frustrating because yeah. you're, you're never sure like who has what. Yeah. Really? So you get to like... Yeah. It'd be nice if there was a way to, I guess, to force the application cache to reload. I mean, you can if people are connected to the network, but if they're not, you know, which may or may not matter. Um, but if you have some, let's see. Yeah, I mean... It, it, if you invalidate the cache, then it um, then it updates for everyone. But there's like so it's a it's a long story for a different day. But if your cache is enormous, or someone has had, um, if someone has, for example, browsed around a ton of pages that were implicitly cached, and mm-hmm. they have a they have over time built up an enormous cache uh, on their phone, let's say, then you can invalidate the cache and then the next time they come to the site, it's going to start downloading all the new, you can't do it surgically. It's like, it has to re download everything. And, uh, and if it's too much stuff, it won't finish. So, so the person oh. still has the old, it, it, if it only, if it doesn't complete the download, then it'll just throw that away. Cause it doesn't want to have like a half baked. Um, it doesn't, doesn't delete the old. It doesn't delete the old one until the new one has completely downloaded, which makes sense. I guess yeah, I guess it makes sense, but you know, you can't. It's a little annoying that you can't just go in and you know, like maybe maybe push a must re must reevaluate header to like one JavaScript file. Yes, yeah, something. But they do, you know, and and I suppose that's compounded by the fact that uh, in the latest version of iOS, the cache sizes uh, increased from five meg to twenty five mm. before it asks the user for permission, so you can. Uh, I mean, you can have a lot of you can have a fair amount of data in there. Yeah. So, yeah. speaking of yeah, just which I I actually took a screenshot on the way to London. I wanted to uh, offline cache my Kindle Reader stuff. 
mm-hmm. uh, because the, the Kindle app doesn't work on the uh, beta version of software that I'm running on any of my iDevices. Oh. It just immediately crashes. Oh, the real reason you haven't started that book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was trying to get um, trying to get that all cached in the Cloud Reader, which yeah. is their their web app, which does have offline support. And it does it does work, but I noticed this is interesting that um, usually when you when you get that uh, message dialogue that says, "Hey, um, you've got uh, whatever uh, uh, what's it called reader dot amazon dot com wants you know five megabytes more space uh, yeah. to store information." But interestingly, it jumped straight to fifty. So somehow oh. it knows e- either the browser knows how much is coming or or there's something you could do programmatically um on so the, tell it yeah so so you yeah. don't have to keep doing you know for a single download you don't have to keep you know the user doesn't have to keep saying okay five more okay five more okay five <laughs> yeah, more like 10, 10 times. times yeah interesting we should look into that yeah oh absolutely yeah that's that's definitely applicable to several projects we're working on so yeah i'm i'm working on a getting ready to work on a project with a friend actually with josh oh, cool. and um some of it may involve some photo, a fair amount of photo caching. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's something I definitely want to look into. Interesting. Very cool. And so, anyway, we've gone through and we've split up our, our work into different instances. We've, we've got, um, got different types of jobs running on different, different um, various and different AWS instances now. Mm-hmm. And so I guess my, my next recommendation from there is once you have it all split out and separated is to then go in and make an AMI of, of each instance type. Mm-hmm. And then that will allow you to set up load balancers and, and spawn new instances behind the load balancers and, and just scale to meet demand that way. And okay, so that makes total sense on the surface, but what about the database? Um, database scaling is not something we dealt a lot with, mm-hmm. actually. So I don't know. I'm, I'm still not 100% certain on how you would scale that database horizontally because mm-hmm. we, we didn't have to. We just put it on a, on a slightly larger instance. I got you. So like more, there, more there, memory. Right, because there, there are different different sizes of RDS instances, just the, the same as there are EC2. Hmm. And so, I mean... I mean, the horizontal scaling on the database is, is still not something I've dealt with, and it's definitely something I need to look into because I feel like it's it's an area that I'm lacking and and should should know more about because I feel like I feel like for for instance, in this situation, we had the email cron jobs running, and then we had um, the the web server itself, and and those cron jobs were hitting the database fairly frequently, and I feel like it would have been a, a good scenario to either. Either maybe run another another database server in parallel and balance the load between the two, mm-hmm. or to just kind of replicate it and have the the cron jobs running against one database and the web app using another one. Right. Rather than rather than trying to you know specifically load balance, have have one using one database instance and one using another. And because so I because I guess the idea the idea with load balancing is a request comes in to the load balancer and the load balancer looks at looks at your your nodes and and which ones are healthy and what the load is on each of those and and distributes accordingly based on available resources. Mm-hmm. That's but like traffic wise. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then behind the scenes, I mean, I've I've 
had to read up on like uh, with MySQL slave configurations. So mm-hmm. you've got you basically, I mean, to drastically oversimplify it, you kind of do all of your reads off any number of databases that are kept in sync. Air quotes. Right. Uh, yeah, that's the part I I don't understand how they keep them in sync. Exactly. But uh, uh, and then there's basically one database for writes, which obviously makes sense when you do when you have tons of reads and not so many writes. So yeah. Uh, but I, I feel I feel like the the cool kids have moved beyond that into you know the, the term soup of which I do not know the definitions, but like sharding is the the funny word that I'll throw out whenever somebody says, yeah, <laughs> oh, just shard the database. I have no idea yeah. what that means. <laughs> no idea what that means. But Right. And... MongoDB is web scale. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to link to that again. That video is yeah. so funny. MongoDB yeah. is web scale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, I feel like, I feel like that's what transactions were invented for. <laughs> yeah. 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 To it to allow you to to have writes multiple multiple database writes going on from from different servers and and not destroy each other. So I feel like that was the whole the whole purpose of transactions. Yeah. <laughs> Encapsulate yeah. those. But yeah, it's I mean it's it's one of those things. It's I want to look into it. I want to know how to do it. I probably won't until I have to. And right. I don't know. Did Did you hear that? My cat just knocked the, the dog balls off. The <laughs> so the giant crash in the background was the cat. How How tall is your dog that he can eat out of his bowls on the counter? <laughs> no, we don't leave them on the counter. Uh-huh. I mean, we I mean we don't feed them on the counter. We, yeah. we set them up set them up there when it's not meal time. <laughs> I thought for a second you had a, a shepherd giraffe. Yeah, we have a mix. marmaduke. <laughs> we have a marmaduke. <laughs> no, not a giraffe mix. No, no, it's not a not a like a. What's the what's the one I'm looking for? What's the St. Bernard giraffe mix? Yeah. Oh, that'd be good looking. <laughs> yeah, that would be. <laughs> could he have multiple barrels around his neck? Um, way? probably so. Yeah, you could just stack them. Yeah, it'd be like the yeah. top top shelf of a bar. It'd be like yeah. Uh, <laughs> your options. It's good to have options. Yeah, that's <laughs> pretty funny. <laughs> Speaking of giraffes, uh, Cooper is currently not making any noise in the background because they went to the zoo. Oh. To find oh. out to find out what a Tacken says. And I, I'm guessing, apparently, there's some new animal at our local zoo called a Tacken, which sounds made yeah. up to me. Yeah. But apparently there is one, and they're going to go find out what a Tacken says. That's interesting. You'll have to tell us next week what a Tacken says. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm very curious. Right. <laughs> so we know what a cow says, but not what a Tacken says. Yeah. Cow, cow says moo. Yeah. <laughs> Snail says meow. I feel like there's a show title in there somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) Snail says meow. Yeah. SpongeBob reference. Oh. I guess he's probably a little too young for that still, though. Too young for SpongeBob. Yeah. (laughs) I'm actually looking forward to that phase. I love SpongeBob. (laughs) Anyway, so. (laughs) Yeah, where were we? Yeah, we were talking about sharding. Right. Right. That mythical thing people do that we have yet to do. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think when we get to that stage, we'll be hiring people that know how to do that. If you yeah. have, if you need that kind of firepower. So, yeah, this, so was, anyway. this was this was scaling, but it was scaling on a much smaller scale. <laughs> gotcha. But still, it was it was fun and interesting things to learn and. 
that's that's mostly it. I mean, the Amazon, the load balancers, I feel like Beanstalk, Amazon's Elastic Beanstalk can probably automate a lot of the things that the load balancer we were doing with um, with their um, Elastic Load Balancer because Beanstalk is supposed to automatically do the scaling for you. Huh. But... Um, I, I always thought Beanstalk was like like EC2 for Java apps. Yeah, I feel like you put your you put your. I guess you can use different languages as well, hmm. but um, I feel like feel like EC2 or Beanstalk is one where you you put your app. It's kind of you put your app in it and then you just you just let it go. And I I don't feel like the code base we were working with was was mature enough or that you know we would have. It's kind of kind of the level of control and granularity that we wanted. Mm-hmm. So so Beanstalk didn't really seem like a good fit for that. Even even if we could use it, I'm not entirely certain now that you mentioned it that you know that it would work with a PHP application. Right. But I feel like I feel like Java and yeah, Java certainly and and maybe Ruby. You could you could use that with or or maybe you take Ruby and you wrap it in like JRuby and and run it as a Java app. I don't know. Hmm. But um, yeah, we were just we were just doing the elastic load balancers, and, and we were we were starting up instances, additional instances manually because the traffic load wasn't that high. But there are there are um, command line tool sets for AWS that allow you to automate that process. Yeah, it sounds like from the documentation, it looks like they got a pretty rich API for yeah doing it basically anything you want. Yeah, it's it looks really good, and you can install. Install the the toolkits on the servers, and you can write your scripts to to manage a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. It looks like I mean, uh, there have been a couple of times when I've been trying to do something through the web console, and it's like you can't do that through the console, but you can do it with the with the command line tools. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems pretty full featured. Yeah, and actually, um, you know, Amazon has they do like a weekend thing where you can go and and take courses on all their different AWS services. Really. Yeah, yeah. I haven't, I haven't seen anything about schedules or prices or anything like anything like that. But the guy I was working with was telling me that that is something that they do offer. Wow, I've so, seen which some. Doesn't surprise me. I mean, you know, sure. there's there's so much there that you would need. You know, if you're gonna learn it all, you need some kind of instruction. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. I mean, I've seen I've seen that they they email me about webinars and stuff like that, but um, I wasn't aware of like proper classes that'd be super interesting yeah yeah something i want to look into more because that really that's the if i was going to knock anything about aws it's that there's so many freaking things in there that it's you you don't even know what you don't know it's like oh like you know you're trying to solve a problem in the wrong way because you're aware or not the best way because you're like you know, just throw throw familiar tools at it instead of a, spe- a tool that's specifically built for that that you'd never heard of. Yeah, yeah. It's, it all seems to be fairly well documented, mm-hmm. but there's there's just so much of it that 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 each with their own specific tasks that you know, unless you're unless you're familiar with it, it's sometimes it's sometimes tempting. Like I know we were talking about this a while back on another project, um, sending outbound email. Yeah. And we were looking at just using Google Apps because it was, you know, we we always use Google Apps. It's it's there and it's familiar and it's easy to do. Yep. But we were concerned about volume. And then, oh, hey, look, Amazon has an, an email service that will, will send email for you. Yeah. And it's like 
the first two thousand per day are free. Yeah, the first the first gigabyte is free. <laughs> oh. First gigabyte. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that should cover us. Yeah, we're sending tiny text mess, tiny text notifications. We should be good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and then it's and like, the, it's like two, th a, like a penny per two thousand. After that, I mean, it's just yeah. absurdly cheap. Yeah, it's it was crazy, and yeah, the the RDS actually, if you want to play around with it on a on a project or something, uh, RDS has a free tier as well. Of course. So yeah, a lot of a lot of Amazon services have free tiers now. I think they all do, don't they? Mm. I I mean, everyone I've I've tried. I, I just got uh, expiration notices for a couple that apparently I've been using for a year. So, uh, yeah, and by the time that happens, you're like, am I going to, you know, yeah. am I not going to upgrade to the $10 per month that I've yeah. been using it for a exactly. year for free and loving it? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. They if, are... you're, if you're running things on micro instances, I mean, you, you can't find... Yeah, well, I guess you could find there is cheaper cheaper virtual private server hosting out there, but you're not going to find, you know, I, I would question question the quality. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the that's what I, I've, I've got. still have one server that is like a $3.99 a month GoDaddy virtual private yeah. or shared or shared host. <laughs> and it's fine for what it is because I haven't um, I haven't done any development on it in like two years. You know, it's just like this web app that sits there and people use it and, and it, it like literally the code never changes. But when I do get around to redoing it, in fact, that's one that I would love for us to redo. Um, there's no way in hell I would leave it there because the, and here's why it, it's just got, it's so many restrictions. I can't even, it's almost like hard to know where to start. The whole, <laughs> the whole concept is flawed the way that it's, you know, given an option like mm -hmm. AWS, the whole concept of having a single machine somewhere is inherently flawed plus it's uh it's not even a regular machine in that it's got all these restrictions on it like i i can't get in uh i can't get in there as root um there's only like at the uh, when you ssh in the number of commands that you can use is really limited uh there's you can't upgrade the disk space i mean there's a million things that that's the way it used to be you know like the solution yeah. would be to get a bigger one and uh, and there's you know and that was I suppose their their model was like get people in on these really restrictive, cheap, um, uh, shared server uh, account things and you know hosting and accounts upsell. and then upsell to just a, a plain old bigger machine, and it just sounds so um, silly now you know yeah even if it was the same price I wouldn't do it yeah because you know, it's just the too many restrictions and like everything it feels like you have to do everything where with as confusing as AWS is just because there's so many things it can do you just feel like you're never going to get locked in like that old model just feels like so locked in yeah and i mean you know worst case scenario is you you download your machine image and you know i, I don't see i'm not sure if those machine images will work off of off of an Amazon server, but I'm thinking they're probably just, you know, just like an ISO file that, that has everything on it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that would be my assumption. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's, um, I mean, I almost, I almost left, I almost kind of feel bad saying it because they've been such a great company. I almost left Lino last week when I was redesigning itemize mm. just because, I mean, 
I, I was paying, I had two instances or two, two line nodes mm-hmm. and I was paying 50 bucks a month for the two of them. Yeah. Which they were, you know, they were decent sized line nodes, but, um, yeah, just because one, I could get it on AWS cheaper and two, if one of them ever got to the point where I did need to scale, it would be so much easier to do. Yeah. Because I, I, I know Linode <clears throat> does, now does some kind some, some load balancing. You can load balance across multiple Linodes. Mm-hmm. But I feel like with AWS it's just gonna be a lot a lot more flexible and a lot more automated and but um I mean I, I ended up staying uh, I I downgraded Canceled one of the line nodes and downgraded another one. I ended up staying with them just because I needed, I needed a lamp stack, and I just I didn't feel like setting up a second EC2 instance and and going through all that configuration and what have you. So I mean, I mostly stayed just out of convenience. Right. Yeah. Just have but, like a dumb web server to throw stuff on. Yeah. Yeah. But I do have to say though that Linode has been just incredibly, incredibly good in terms of performance, and I have never seen a company with technical support as good as Linode. Yeah. So if, if you just need a single a single cheap VPS, I mean twenty bucks a month, I would highly recommend them. But but for you know, if you're looking at something that's going to scale, I go I'd go EC2. Yeah, especially if you need some handholding. Yeah. Because one thing you definitely don't get with AWS is there's tons of documentation, but as far as I know, the uh, there's no support. Yeah, I'm sure there is if you want to pay lots of money for it. Right, right, right. But I, as far as I know, there's no. Yeah. There's no support at all. Yeah, and that's that's something I could definitely definitely praise Linode about. Yeah, it's funny. So, all right, so we should yeah, probably kind of uh, get off topic. Yeah, <laughs> we should probably maybe wrap it up or get back on track. Did you have yeah. more more stuff on um, your list? Not a whole lot. I mean, we just had a there were just a couple of little minor things we ran into when when doing the load balancing that I thought were kind of worth mentioning. Oh yeah. And the, um, yeah, there's, there's a couple of things. Uh, for one, for when, when someone comes in to your, to your site and they hit the load balancer and the load balancer sends them off to one of your other, one of your running instances, mm-hmm. you have a couple of different options. Uh, you know, for, you can have that, have that traffic reevaluated on, on each request. So, so they may end up switching, switching, they may actually end up getting content from several different instances during, during their visit to the site, or you can choose to bind, bind the visitor to a specific instance. Right. So, so, well, yeah, because what about their session? Like, yeah, what? exactly. If you're doing anything that's behind a session, then you, you want, you want to bind them to the instance. Right. And, so. and that's like, and you're saying that that's like, that's just like a pretty simple configuration type of thing or how does yeah. that yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> wow it's funny because you hear the cat and, and then you hear my daughter's bedroom door open and it's just a loud sigh <laughs> cat yeah it's gonna start yelling at it here in a minute i know yeah but... anyway yeah oh anyway. summer summer vacation huh yeah, yeah, summer vacation. Wow. So. <laughs> so anyway, so it's a, a pretty straightforward configuration yeah. whether or not yeah, to. Yeah, just to, to bind the session. And, and is, the, it, is it specifically for that or is there, it, does it say, it, do, you, do you basically say we want everyone to stay with the instance that they get sent to initially or is it even smarter than that? 
and you can say like you know for example i don't know i'm just making this up but like anything that has this particular cookie name needs to stay on this server or uh it's just kind of just binding them to the the initial instance that they instance that they hit mm -hmm. yeah which is that's you because what i was thinking was well there's probably potentially a lot of traffic that you know, when you get a new web app, people are probably going to poke around in the about page and the home page and mm -hmm. FAQs and stuff, and they don't need to be bound to a particular instance. But it's pretty right, much they're not really bulking in. Right, but it's pretty much all or nothing. Or can you set it on a subdomain? Or uh, I mean, as far as I know, it's it's pretty much all or nothing. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I guess you could you could do it per subdomain. You could certainly certainly could if you wanted to break it up that way like if you had all of your all of your login content behind a behind a subdomain right you, know, you could you could do it that way yeah just have different instances yeah very cool so yeah i mean all this stuff is like totally awesome it's so nice that uh we're coming to i mean aws has been around for a while and and it's just grows every month there's some new service and they lower the price and it's just kind of i feel it's kind of fun to be yeah. coming in behind it and not have to wait for some of this stuff yeah it is it is i mean i i know like i know for a fact a lot of the stuff we're talking about right right now are, are things people have been doing for you know a couple of years but I feel like I feel like there's also a large crowd of people out there that are like us and are just starting to get into it too. Yeah, hardcore. I, I feel I feel like I feel like big business has been doing it for a while, but when you get the little the little shops and 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 small projects and startups, you know, maybe maybe they haven't had that experience because it's just not something that's been needed. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, it's getting it's getting to the point where it's cheap enough that there's there's really very little good reason not to. Mm-hmm. Yep, it just lowers the bar the bar so much the barrier yep. to entry I should say so that like you can you can set something up right for virtually no money and yeah. and if you have a hit then you don't have to do anything except pay more money you yeah. know <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's nice to be able to to do that and and I I just like learning the stuff so even if I have something that's not a not a huge hit it's just it's it's fun to go in and do. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah the the only other major issue we ran into uh, was with SSL. Oh really? How so? Um, basically, what the the best way to do that? I mean, you could you could have SSL on each instance, but um, what we found worked better for us was to let the load balancer manage manage the. Um, the, the HTTPS and, and SSL sort of negotiations there. And then um, then it communicates with the, or transfers data back and forth to the instance via um, secure um, TCP sockets. Really? So, yeah, so the, so the SSL actually terminates at the load balancer, and then the load balancer has a secure connection to the instance. Uh, that's, that's not what I would have expected. So that the uh, load balancer is, I should have thought of this, but the load the load balancer is like um, a router, basically. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course it is, like duh. But I never thought yeah. of it like like a, um, a physical appliance. Not that it is, but I never thought of it like that. So then, so no, oh, I'd be interested to see that. I should poke around in the, uh, it set something up and poke around in it. So the concept is that you you're basically doing 
um, IP routing, right? I mean, like right. you go in there and you set up a bunch of IP addresses and tell it how to route the traffic, like you said, either either persist the session or not. And then you can and you can set up. What do you just out of curiosity? What's it like to configure that? You'd say, is it like a checkbox? Like, like um, as far as far as configuring the SSL on the on the load balancer. Um, I was thinking more about the communication between the load balancer and the uh, uh, instances. You know what I mean? Like, how do you set that up to be secure? Like, do you say? Um, it's it's basically just like port forwarding. Wow. So you, and and when you're when you're forwarding on the on the uh, the SSL ports, then it it does the does its encrypted thing. Oh, cool. Yeah, I mean, it's it's duh, it's just a router, but I never thought of it like that. Yeah, it. I I didn't either until we got into it and. And then we ended up doing it. It's like, oh, that makes so much more sense. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? you I was know? like, I, mean, I have this magical was... picture in my head of a load balancer running around, a, you know, going around Robin and being like, here's one for you. Here's one for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's not like a not like a round Robin IRC <laughs> server. <laughs> it's not, it's not yeah. magic. No, no. Sorry. It's not. It's, it, it uses math. <laughs> But no, setting up setting up the SSL and the load balancer was real simple. I mean, there's a web interface to do it. You just upload your your various certificates, mm-hmm. and and then set up set up your port forwarding, and 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 that's that. Uh, so then the the load balancer has like a public IP address, and you attach the Elastic IP to it. Yeah. Um, and that's and yeah. Actually, you set up a the the load balancer. They give you a. a you actually have to set up a C name for it. I don't think you get an an, an actual IP for your load balancer, uh-huh. which is interesting. Yeah. But so so in your in your DNS, you'd go in and you set up a C name for that points to the load balancer. Right. And do you have did did uh, in this particular project did they use um, what's that? Uh, do you know what they're just out of curiosity what they are using for DNS? Because I guess Amazon offers some kind of DNS service. Yeah, the the route fifty route fifty three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they they were using it. I didn't have access to it, mm-hmm. so it's it's not something I got to poke around at. Um, right, because like right now I have all that set up with like my various registrars. Yeah, yeah, I have I have mine. Even the stuff that's on the AC two, I still have managed through um through Linode. Yep. But uh, yeah, so I was I was looking into it. Just when I when I was thinking of moving off of Linode, I was looking into to Route Fifty Three more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I might do that because I I like I said, I've got a couple of different registrars. Hover is my primary one, mm-hmm. but they don't do like .io, and there's another one that I've got .es. Um, so and so I've got these. Every time I have to configure one of the ones that's a little weirder, I never like sure how to do it or where it is it would be nice to be able to just go into those things once point them at like amazon's name servers which i assume is what you do yeah and uh and just manage all that stuff in one place yeah yeah if you use multiple registrars it would definitely make things easier yeah um i i tend to to just use one but (laughs) then again I've, i've never needed a domain name that that um that namecheap doesn't or a tld that namecheap doesn't offer so Mm. But yeah, that's 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 my my big story with with all things AWS over the past couple of weeks, and I do have a couple of a couple of um, 
mobile apps that are helpful in this process too that we ended up using so we could monitor things and, and what have you over the weekend and that oh, type of stuff. Really? Like what? Like you mean for your like mobile apps for monitoring? Yeah. Well, mobile apps for doing doing all kinds of things, monitoring and management. There's a uh, there's one that's called Cloud Services Manager. Mm-hmm. You can link to it in the show notes, and um, we'll we'll just let you you know do some 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 monitoring and basic management of AWS services. Really? Yeah. It's it's only like six bucks. Is it a third party thing or is it from Amazon? Uh, yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's a third party third party thing for for iOS. I was kind of surprised that I didn't really see anything there by Amazon in the in the mobile app space. I'll check it out. And and then I also I just have a, a nice um SSH client on my iPad. Oh, what are you using? Uh, I use ISSH. Cool. I that's that's the one I was using. Um mm-hmm. I might, Did you find a better one? I yeah, I think I did. Um Panic released uh something called Diet Coda, which I think you've oh. played with. And the advantage of Diet Coda over the most recent version of ISSH that I've used uh, is that you can customize the keyboard to put, um, you know, commonly used keystrokes. You can sort of bubble them to the top so they're not mm-hmm. buried. And the uh, and the multiple line, the, the text selection is unbelievable, which I guess that's, well, that actually can come into play. Uh, over uh, an SSH connection, but the it's it's really really good. It's really yeah. good. I, cool. I SSH is good too. But see, um, I'm 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 not a big fan of Coda, but I remember you saying that that uh, that Diet Coda was good. It's yeah. I mean, my my initial feeling was that it's the first. It is the first app I've seen on uh, the iPad that could possibly convince me to leave my laptop at home on a trip. Oh, wow. and, and just in terms of coding. There's a bunch of other, um, there are a bunch of other things like, um, you know, like the other day I had, I, I, I had to like Skype you, I, you know, <laughs> annotated a PDF and then, and then I wanted to break the annotation. I wanted to view the annotations and be able to like make to do's for each yeah. one in, in Basecamp or somewhere. And there's like no, it would just be constant switching back and forth between two apps, which would be a nightmare on the iPad. Um, so, you know, I was like, uh, I was like, Kelly help. (laughs) But, um, diet Coda is totally worth looking into if you have an iPad and you know, if you want to make, you know, quick edits to a site, I wouldn't probably code up. I would definitely not code an entire site on it, but, but to make quick changes, um, it's, it's pretty crazy. Uh, the one caveat that I'll make is not diet Coda related, but, um, there can be, I don't know if it's because I'm running the beta software on my iPad, but the wireless connectivity and just the connectivity in general has been incredibly flaky, like incredibly flaky. Like if you, if you stop using the wireless connection for 30 seconds to 60 seconds, it fail, it, it hmm. just stops. So the sessions will, can break unexpectedly and you can be left if you're not careful about when you're saving or what you're saving or uh, or exactly how you're editing things on a server, you can get disconnected and not be able, and then just lose your connection completely and have your live website. Yeah. If you're editing a live website, which I do all the time. Um, Shame on you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I live on the edge. Yeah. So, uh, 
yeah, um, that's the only thing I would I would worry about. It's still, the the um, just connectivity in general of the iPad for me has been uh, good enough to you know read news feeds and check email and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But to actually be editing a live site off an iPad makes makes me a little nervous, regardless of what application I was using. So yeah, that that sounds like it may be a hopefully it's just the the beta iOS six problem because I. Personally, I don't have any any connectivity issues with mine. And then again, I'm still, I I have a I have a first gen iPad. Yeah, they had there was a version. I believe it was the very first version of the iPad and the operating system that was on the first iPad, which I think was four. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it had terrible Wi-Fi connectivity problems initially, which they eventually fixed with yeah. a software update. And I'm assuming the same thing's going on here. Plus, I've been on a lot of hotel Wi-Fi recently, um, which which definitely exacerbates the problem. But that's but I you know but I've had this problem on non-hotel Wi-Fi or over uh, the 4G connection, which is has been crappy uh, yeah. to be honest since uh, ever since I got the iPad without the beta software. So you know. Your mileage may vary. I'm sure it'll get better as the uh, the OS gets more baked. Yeah, as it's, as it's actually released. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's beta, so. Yeah, yeah, but that's yeah. So I um um you know I'm not I'm not gonna think about leaving the laptop at home until I can get get on on my iPad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah, that would be the way to go. I wonder if I wonder if Diet Coda has facility for that. I mean, theoretically, well, I'll check into that. I mean, it gives you a command line. I don't suppose yeah. it will. Nah, it won't let it run. I mean, locally. you could you could use Git on your remote server. Right. Sure. But... Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be what you would do. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Well, it's uh, it's still, I, and I will say that on this trip that I was just on, I wasn't coding. It was mostly meetings, um, mm-hmm. lots of PowerPoint, email, uh, OmniGraph, all that kind of thing. And I barely opened my laptop, to tell you the truth. So it's we're we're getting you know so for like a a strategic kind of engagement, that is probably the type of thing that uh, most road warriors are doing. Um, the iPad is like, it's great. Yeah. I mean, you go in an airport and like. It's just littered with iPads. You, be, <laughs> yeah. you, you can't put it down because you, yeah, you know, I unless know, you I have a sticker that. on it. It's like they're they're just everywhere, and uh, and you still see you know certainly see uh, some laptops. I saw a couple, but it's just way way fewer. Yeah, I noticed the last time I I flew there were more more lap or more iPads than there were laptops, and most of the laptops were either netbooks or MacBook Airs. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You don't see any, you don't, you barely see any of the chunky, like when I yeah. see a big ass Dell, fat black Dell laptop, it, <laughs> it's always like a, a high school kid or like a, a kid basically. It's, yeah. it's never a, like a guy with a tie on. You know, it's, it's never a business, business type. I mean, the last time I flew to Boston, I, um, I, I like I took the MacBook Air and I just, I had it in the little sleeve <laughs> and it was, <laughs> it was, it was nice to just to have that, that sort of convenience. Yeah, it's it's tough to beat. And I would I would like to thank the security personnel at Logan International Airport for not dropping my laptop this time. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> they dropped your laptop. Uh, I had a I had a white MacBook. Huh. 
and actually I've still got it. Kira uses it. And um, uh, last year when I flew it to Boston, they they dropped it. <laughs> hmm. And was it you know was it just a like yikes or did it actually break? Uh, it was in the sleeve, so I think that helped cushion the blow a little bit. And it didn't. It just like it fell off the table, so it wasn't like they were holding it up. So it it only fell just a couple of feet. And I mean, it it didn't didn't actually do any damage to the laptop. Two apples credit, and and also kind of surprisingly, since it's a, a the one of the ones with the plastic case. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, I don't know. The hinges are a little loose. I don't know if that's if it's from use, but I started noticing it after that. So I'm thinking it might have might have hit and and kind of jarred the lid there. Mm-hmm. Oh well, it's, it's good enough. the The ten year old is not complaining. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so that is the niche podcast for this week. I am Jonathan Stark. I'm Kelly Shaver, and we hope you join us again next week for the niche podcast. See you later. Bye.